We are in a series called Doctrine 101, and we preach in monthly themes here. If you're new, if this is your first time watching or here in person, so it just means we stick with the theme for the month so that there's some kind of cohesive thought. And so this month is called Doctrine, about learning what we believe. Yeah, the cheers are just really, really loud if you can't tell that online right now. Really excited to study about doctrine. And of all the doctrines to study, today we're talking about righteousness and holiness. Real barn burner of fun. Okay, thank you, yes. You know, last month they gave me the chapter that we were studying First John, and they gave me the chapter on sin. And this month I get the chapter on right, or the topic of righteousness and holiness. I'm like, I'm starting to see a theme. They're giving me all the most intense ones that uh, d- don't sound very fun from the beginning, but... It's important. Today's going to be good. We're going to do this together and learn about God. And so I was thinking about this week, one of the reasons why doctrine is so important, of course, we want to know what we actually say we believe. If we're calling ourselves Christians, then we ought to know what Christianity uh, teaches and and what those truths are. But more than just making sure we we actually believe what we say we believe, it's also how we, the standard we live by. It's how we know how to live. Like knowing who God is, the attributes of God, the pillars of the Christian faith, that is how we determine the steps we take. What is right and wrong? What is love? What is justice? Because those things have to spring from something. It has to come from a source. So if, whether you're a Christian or not, the standards you live by have to be rooted in something. We can't just arbitrarily pick things like, well, I think this is right because I think it's right. It has to be sourced in something. You have to actually be standing on something solid you can point to outside of just an idea you think sounds like a good idea. And so for Christians, we get our standard of how we live through doctrine, through what we believe to be true about God and what the word of God says about this faith. So it's, it's very important. So we're gonna start with righteousness That's where we're going to begin. So let's look at what this word means. Let's go to the screen. This is so that the people online can see what we're looking at. So the righteousness of God. Righteousness means one who is right, upright, straight, accurate, just. This is who God is. One of the truths about God. He is the one who is right. He is straight. He's never bent or crooked. Every decision he makes is right. Every way he acts is perfect. He is never wrong. Just hearing that rubs some people the wrong way. Like, he is never wrong. He is righteous. He is the upright one. He determines that for us. So when we say things are right or wrong or or something is unjust or just, We are getting that standard from him. He is the standard of what justice is, what rightness is. In every moment, in every situation, he is the one who is right. And righteousness and holiness are actually the two most talked about attributes of God in the Bible. Righteousness is mentioned something like over 500 times and holiness over 600 times, different variations of the word, and sometimes referring to righteous people or holy people, but is mentioned so much. It's his most talked about attributes. So let's read a couple verses. Deuteronomy, he is the rock. His works are perfect and all his ways are just. A faithful God who does no wrong, upright and just is he. It's his righteousness. 
Psalms, righteousness and justice are the foundation of your throne. Love and faithfulness go before you. And there are so many verses. Like I said, over 500. Didn't write them all down. But here, here are just some more examples you could study if you want to take a screenshot of that. Or you can open your concordance at home and look up the word righteous and righteousness and do a study this week because I can't possibly do justice to either one of these topics this morning in the time that I have. But I'm hoping to give an overview and that you'll go home with your small group and with yourself and with your family and study uh, these attributes about God. So knowing that about God, that he is righteous, what is righteousness for us? Because it's a little bit different. Righteousness in regards to our, our righteousness has a little bit different meaning because even though we are righteous, it doesn't mean we will never be wrong, right? That definition that applies to God, it's a little different from us. Imagine if spouses both thought they could never be wrong. I am always right. I am always the one who is right, okay? So righteousness doesn't exactly mean that for us. For us, it means to be in right standing with God. It means I am in right standing. A righteous person is someone who has been made right by God through believing in him. And so righteousness is available for each one of us, every one of you here and online that have accepted God's sacrifice for you and say, I believe in him. You are righteous. You have God's righteousness. You have right standing with him. And so righteousness has nothing to do with our moral goodness. It's, there's nothing we're doing like a series of good and, or bad decisions that are making us more or less righteous. It is totally a gift from God that we either believe and we accept or we don't. And there's many verses just letting us know it's not about our own righteousness. Romans says it's written, there is no one righteous, not even one. No one outside of God can claim to be righteous, to be one who is always right, never bent, never crooked, never making a mistake. Isaiah says, all of us have become like one who is unclean and all of our righteous acts are like filthy rags. So even when we you know, try to do righteousness, compared to the righteous one, doesn't compare. Only he is righteous, but we can have that righteousness imputed to us, given to us, if we accept him, if we just believe. And so it's not about what we do. There's nothing we can do to make us righteous. It's through faith. Faith produces righteousness. That's very encouraging to me. It's very encouraging that it's not about me doing all the right things to be able to obtain right standing with God. It's something he's given to us. And that's why Genesis and Romans both talk about Abraham in the Old Testament. And it said, Abraham did what? Abraham believed God. He simply believed him. He believed that what God said would come true. He believed that God was his God, the real God. He believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. Believing God's words is credited as righteousness. So that means when you are trusting God in whatever situation, I'm trusting God for a mate. I'm trusting God through break, for breakthrough in my, in my health. I'm trusting God for breakthrough. When we trust God and we exercise faith, we say, you know what? I'm gonna believe God. Even though my circumstances tell me otherwise, God, I'm trusting you. God says, wow, that is an act of righteousness. It's an act of righteousness to just believe him to just trust in him. And it's easy to think that righteousness is about what we do, like, oh, look at them, they're so righteous. But it's not, it is only about faith. Romans 1 says, for the gospel 
For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from the first to the last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. You come into this uh, relationship with Jesus by faith, you're made righteous by faith, and that doesn't change. It continues by faith alone. This is why the, the, this is why the Pharisees had such beef with Jesus. They really didn't like him because they came on the scene When Jesus came on the scene, he totally messed up their system because they believed the things they were doing were making them righteous. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of that time when Jesus walked the earth, and they had made all these extra rules of what people could and couldn't do so that they would look more righteous and be more righteous. And Jesus comes on the scene, and he says to everyone, look, unless your righteousness is greater than a Pharisee, you're never going to see the kingdom of God. Can you imagine how upsetting that was to them? greater righteousness than us. Who's more righteous than us? We follow more rules than anyone else. Jesus is saying, it's not about changing your behavior. It's about the heart. You have to believe in the Father, believe in the Son, believe that your redemption comes through him. Then when your heart is changed, when you receive that righteousness, when you know I have right standing with God, I'm in a relationship with the the one who is right, the one who is straight, who can never make a mistake, who is perfect justice. When I know I'm in relationship with that kind of a being, then my behavior does change. Then the behavior changes, but not the other way around. And the Pharisees kept trying to change their behavior to, to to gain righteousness. So this leads us into holiness. So now let's switch and talk about this. What does holiness mean? Holiness means to be set apart. God is completely set apart from any other being, from any other person, completely set apart from sin. It's being separated or different from what is ordinary or common. It's moral excellence. It's sacred. It's purity. What holiness means, the holiness of God, means that he is completely and utterly set apart from absolutely everything. He is the most rare, he's the most distinct being that has ever lived. You know, like for a diamond or or other things of value, the more rare they are, the higher the value goes up. He is the rarest. He is the most unique being in existence. And he is morally excellent and he is pure. That is what holiness is. That's why in the scriptures, it, well, let's see. Let's see. Exodus 15. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? First Samuel. There is none holy like the Lord. There is none besides you. There is no one like you. There is no rock like our God. He's totally unique, totally set apart from sin completely distinct. So what does this mean for us? This means that we are also called to be set apart from sin and worldliness. And also we are called to be connected to the sacred, to be connected to God. Holiness is not just about a list of rules of things that you should or shouldn't do. And it's not also just only about connecting to being in relationship with God. It's both. It's both. As I connect with God, the most sacred being in the universe, the most powerful, the most everything. My heart is changed to, to, to copy him, to be different like him, to be set apart like him. Holiness is a calling to be different. 
It's a calling to be different from that which is around you, to be completely set apart. Holiness is a calling to be unique in your character. Uniqueness in your character, in your purity. That means it doesn't look like everyone else around you. And it's not about a uniqueness in your dress, in your decor, in your music, whatever. Be as unique or ordinary as you want with that stuff. But the uniqueness the Bible talks about, that holiness talks about, is a uniqueness in the character and the way that you live. God said it should be different. You should be set apart as I'm set apart. So this means when the culture, your family culture, your school culture, your work culture, the internet culture, whatever you're around, when culture says, this is something we love to do, or this is something that's so fun, or we think this is a good idea, it means I have to take every single thing, I have to take that idea, and I have to line it up and compare it to the word of God. And I have to say, is this okay? Does this line up here? Is this violating anything God has told me not to do? If not, great, cool, then I'm, in, I'm on board too. I can participate in that. But everything I have do needs to be lined up to scripture to make sure that I'm not getting off that unique path that God has called me on. He's called each one of us to a unique path, a distinct path, and that path is called holiness. It's interesting because the Bible doesn't say we have to strive to be righteous, like try to be righteous. Come on, get righteous, get righteous. No, it says you are righteous. You are righteous right now if you've accepted the work of the cross. But it says in multiple places, it instructs us, be holy, be holy, be holy as I am holy. First Peter is one of those places. So you must live as God's obedient children. Don't slip back into your old ways of living to satisfy your own desires. You didn't know any better then. But now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. For the scriptures say, you must be holy because I am holy. You must be pure because I am pure. You must be set apart because I'm set apart. You must be unique because I am unique. It's a big, it's a big calling. And sometimes this can maybe overwhelm some of us like, okay, be holy. What, how do I make myself more holy? Like, do I need to put a robe on and play music when I enter the room and be like, ah, ah, here I am. Sin better get out of here. No, holiness, we choose that. We do that by making small decisions every day. Little decisions all throughout our day. Decisions saying yes, Yes, I'm gonna spend time with God right now. Yes, I'm gonna spend some time in prayer. Yes, I'm gonna connect with the God of the universe. Yes, I'm gonna use patience with my children right now or with my spouse. No, I'm not gonna watch that. I'm gonna turn that off because that's gonna make my mind go to another place. No, I'm not gonna go get drinks with coworkers after work because it always turns in to gossiping about our boss and slandering and I don't wanna be a part of that. It's making little decisions throughout your day. Yes and no, does this line up with scripture? Does this edify Christ? Does it edify the body? That's how I pursue holiness. That's how I pursue it. Let me give you... Um, let me just give you a real example of a situation and we'll see what you think about it. You could disagree with me, you could agree, you could whatever. David and I went to New York City a couple years ago and went with another couple. And we went to this 
play, and it's the most unusual thing I've ever gotten to. And so it was called an interactive show. And so what it was is you, you bought tickets, you go into this building. It was a humongous warehouse. And so when you go in, you have to turn in your phone. So you don't have your phone, and you're like wearing something that lets everyone know you're an audience member, not an actor. And so this is an interactive place. So you go into this three-story building, tons of rooms. I mean, it's humongous. And the play happens, and all of us are just like standing around. Like, here's the actor. And I'm like, watch them. And so it, this play, it was, like a, it was like a take on uh, Macbeth, I think, an interpretation. And so it would repeat three times, the same thing three times. And so it, would, it started in this big open room, and this was the crescendo of the story. And then the actors split off. And so you basically just chased whatever actor you wanted to follow to follow the story. So literally the whole crowd <laughs> is running through this building trying to keep up with the actor. And then they'd go in this room and then they would do, it was like this like dance thing. I don't know. And so you were, you followed them to like follow their story. And so you're following their storyline. You're trying to keep up and the actors are trying to lose you. And then they come back to the middle room and, and it's the ending crescendo again. It's like this slow motion murder scene, you know, at the end of the story. And then, you know, okay, the timeline's set over. So now the whole thing is starting over again. So now I'm going to follow that actor. And then sure enough, the crescendo ends and the actor, and I, I literally, the whole thing is like 300 people chasing actors in this giant building. It was wild. It was so crazy. And they would, and then sometimes you ended up, one time I ended up in just the room with just the actor. It was just me. I was the only one that found him. And I was like, it was a really weird feeling. So he's doing his whole like, you know, writing the letter or whatever. And then it's like, he's taking up something on the table next to me. It just was a crazy feeling, but really strange. But here's what happened. One of the storylines I follow, I ended up in this room and the strobe lights start going and all the actors start taking their clothes off. I mean, they just, clothes are flying. So I'm like, oh crap, I'm in this room with you know, 200 other people. And so I'm just like, okay, I'm not gonna watch. So I just close my eyes. So I'm sitting there closing my eyes and I thought, well, I know I'm closing my eyes, but I want other people to know I'm closing my eyes because if the couple we came with is in here too and they think I'm watching this, I need them to know I'm not watching this. So then this is what I did. This is the position I did for the whole scene. And I'm sure that everyone thought, like, what is homegirl's problem? But I was just like, I just, I needed to be obvious. Like, I'm not watching this. And so I sat like this and I waited till I felt the crowd, you know, stampede off to follow the actors. And I was like, cool, cool, cool. And I'm like, let me just go somewhere else. And I just went along with this three-hour thing. Now, you're sitting there and you might be like, everyone has a different reaction to this. And this is just a real-life example. So you might be sitting here and you're like, yeah, I would have done something similar. I would have just closed my eyes and then kept enjoying this crazy interactive play. Some of you may be saying, thinking like, how, how could you even stay there? You should have gone, demanded your money back. That would be righteousness just to leave the play altogether. Okay, fair enough. And some of you may be sitting here like, you know, it's a little prudish of you to close your eyes. Like it is art. You're not like engaging with them. Like it's, there's nothing in the Bible that says you're going to hell if you like see nudity. And okay, and I'm not here trying to convince you what I did was right or was enough or wasn't enough. I'm just giving you an example. When you're in a situation, you have to line up your decision with the word of God. And so for me, the simplest solution is, okay, I'm just gonna close my eyes and not look. I didn't choose to leave the play. I didn't know where David was. I didn't have my phone. It's a three-story building. So I'm like, okay, let's just avoid nudity the rest of the time. 
At every moment, you have the opportunity. How do I respond to this? And the way we choose that is by lining it up to Scripture, lining it up to who God says he is and what honors him. And that's how we make our daily decisions. So whether it's talking about fast-forwarding a scene in a show that you're like, yeah, I, I shouldn't be watching this. It doesn't glorify God for me to watch this. Whether it's stopping a conversation that's now gone into gossiping or bad-mouthing, whether it's admitting you made a mistake at work instead of lying to get out of trouble, at every moment we make yes and no decisions to pursue holiness, which is really pursuing being unique like our creator. I am called to be different. He has said I'm set apart so what sets me apart right now? What is the path that God has asked me to walk? It's not this big thing that we're like begging God, make us holy, make us holy, like let's make it so that when I walk in a room, you know, people fall over. No, God says, I gave you my righteousness, now you be holy. You be holy, you pursue it. You make the decisions every day in and out to reflect me, to copy me, the most unique, rarest being. There is. You copy me. We strive for holiness because of the righteousness given to us from God. God desires that the whole world be righteous, but he expects the believers he's already made righteous to be holy. I've given you right standing with me. Now act like it. Act like it. Prove it. Show it. Think about this example. If you gave your 16-year-old, or you're the 16-year-old, and your parents give you a car on your 16th birthday, free and clear. Don't make you save up for it. Don't make you work for it. Just like, hey, I'm going to give you this gift of a car. We're going to call that righteousness. That's like, okay, don't, don't come after me, theologians that are like, that doesn't hold up. Just, just giving you a general picture here, okay. <laughs> if, I, if I'm gifted a car at 16, free and clear, we're calling that righteousness. How I treat the car from that day forward, that's holiness. That's holy. Am I cleaning it? Am I washing it? Am I vacuuming it? Am I making sure air is in the tires? Am I making sure there's oil in the, in the oil place? <laughs> I'm teasing. It's called the engine. I know that. Because I got in trouble once when they pulled the little and it was dry. So now I know, it goes in the engine. Okay. How I treat that car, that is holiness. We've been given righteousness and how I live each day is how I walk out holiness and I, and I strive to be like Christ. There ought to be a seriousness in us about holiness. We, sh we ought not to treat the sacred like it's ordinary. And we often treat sin as if it's not trashing the righteousness that we've been given. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be closing here shortly. But before I close and talk about holiness a little bit more, I want to like say this little thing that I'm going to leave right here on stage for some of you that need to hear this before I go into the closing. We've had some extra children staying with us this summer, helping out a family who has to work full time. And so their children, we've been watching their children during the week. And so when you have other people in your home, every home has a different set of rules, right? Like everyone's got 
general guidelines. Sure, we, we're probably all following general rules of like no hitting, no name calling, but each house, each family has its own culture of what's allowed or not allowed. And so when you have other kids in your home, yeah, there's a lot of grace there because I'm not going to make my friend's kids follow every single guideline that, that I expect my daughter to follow. And so it's caused a lot of tension with our daughter because but I'm like, Sayla, we're not their parents. So we keep the general guidelines of no hitting and not being mean. And, but, but there's nuance there of things they're used to doing or ways they're used to talking that I'm not like punishing every time they do something. It would just be overwhelming because our way of living is just very different. So last week, our daughter had just kind of like had enough of what she felt was the double standard. And so they had done something, not egregious, but just something she knew she would never be allowed to get away with. And so she grabbed my face. She pulled my face in like this. She put her face right in front of my face, and she said, punish them. <laughs> dead, I mean, so dead serious. And it took me by surprise, and so I started to laugh. And I said, well, see, these are not my children. And she's like, eh, punish them. She is so frustrated. Now, here's what I want to say. For some of you hearing about holiness today, this is overwhelming. It's like, I don't even, I know that I make mistake after mistake. I, I make the wrong decisions. I make choices that aren't holy. And I just don't even think I can do it. I don't even think I can live up to that standard. But I want to encourage you. You're, you're not going to get kicked out of the house. He's not waiting to kick you out. He's not waiting like a seven-year-old saying, punish them. When you slip up and you don't make a decision of holiness, there is grace, okay? If, if a friend of mine's kid is over and they put on SpongeBob and we don't watch SpongeBob, I'm not like, you little idiot, get out! I'm like, oh, redirect. Let's put something else on. You know, there's grace for that. You're not kicked out of the house when you're new to the house. So I want to encourage you. If you're sitting here and you're like, oh my gosh, I don't know that I can make choices of holiness at every moment. Well, I know you won't, because I don't either. I was repenting so much this week studying this, and I was like, oh my gosh, who, who wants the responsibility about teaching being holy? It's okay. God, God, God knows where you're at. There's forget, there is grace. So, so I'm just going to leave that little bubble for those that need to hear that right here. But for the rest of us, I want to close in a different way. There is grace, of course. God's sacrifice gives us grace. We know that. But I think where the church as a whole lives more often is that we're like, oh, there's grace, 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 grace. And so we've really lost the passion for holiness because it's like, whatever, there's grace, whatever, there's grace. You're not going to go to hell because you looked at a naked person in a play once. Like, oh, don't be so pious. We're using that as an excuse to not like come in back into repentance with Christ, to not pursue the holiness that he has asked us to pursue, that he purchased for us. And so when we do make wrong choices, when we make a choice that's not holiness, that's not unique, that's being just like everyone else in the room that doesn't line up with scripture, we need to come to him and say, I'm sorry, I repent. That was a wrong choice. And not just like, well, whatever. He's okay with it. His sacrifice has already covered it. We need to come to him and say, forgive me. Forgive me for thinking of myself in this way. Because I know when I think of myself as worth nothing and, and a low self-esteem, that's offensive to you, God. Or forgive me for thinking I'm more important than I am and for having all this pride. That is offensive to you, Jesus. Instead of just acting like, oh, it's no big deal. Because think about it. 
If you went to your 16 year, let's say you're the parent that gave the 16 year old the free car and you go out to the car and you get in the car because they're not gonna drive you somewhere and you see Taco Bell bags all over the floor. You see the coffee they spilled the day before they didn't clean off the fabric. You see tickets in the window. They're riding on the rims because there's no air in the tire. The engine's bone dry. What's your response as the parent who paid for that? Oh, no big deal. There's more money where that came from. <laughs> Just get you a second car when you ruin this one. No, it's like, what? No, 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 no. Not acceptable. You're treating this car like it didn't cost me anything, and it did. And that's, what we, that's how we treat righteousness when we don't live in a holy way. It's not that we're never gonna make a mistake, but it's like, ooh, when I realized, gosh, that was... That was a wrong choice. That was an ordinary choice. That was a choice of me just trying to fit in with the crowd. God, forgive me. Forgive me. I know I have right standing with you. I want your forgiveness and we're gonna move forward today making better choices in holiness. So let's respond to that today, to that challenge that scripture gives us, that the Lord gives us to be holy. And I felt like the Lord had a word for someone here specifically today, whether it's here or online. And that is, stop trying so hard to look like your coworkers or your family or your school friends or your neighbors. How many vacations they get, how they get to dress, how they get to spend their money. Stop, there, there's something in us sometimes that starts to feel sorry for ourselves if we feel like, oh, I don't get to do that or I don't get to do that or it's just a bunch of rules. God has set you apart. He's paid the price for your righteousness. And so he says, that means I've picked you up and I've set you on a unique path. And that path is not gonna look like it looks for your school friends, for your neighbors, for your coworkers, even for your family. You're on the path that I have called you to. And so sometimes it means you're gonna be walking along, doing stuff together, participating in, in culture. But there's gonna come a point where it's like, wait, wait, I can't keep going that way. I'm following this path, this path of holiness, this path of uniqueness, this path of distinctness. And it's not about just trying to prove to other people, I'm not like you. It's saying, I wanna be like him. I wanna be like the most holy creator God. He's given me that opportunity by giving me his righteousness and I'm gonna take it. So we walk together hand in hand until I can't anymore, until I have to say, okay, my path leads me this way. I have to say no to that or I have to say yes to this other thing because I'm called to be set apart. I know that we want all the boxes checked. It's like, I wanna get married when I wanna get married and have kids and do this and have this many vacations as these people... This is, this is the hardest thing I'm gonna to say today right here. And I wanna make sure you hear what I say and what I don't say. But I just felt like, believe that someone needs to hear that God doesn't feel sorry for you when you have to be different. He's not feeling sorry for you that it's like, I can't dress like, I can't look like them, I don't. He doesn't. Now, Please don't misunderstand. He cares deeply for you. He cares when there's injustice. He cares when you're wronged. He cares that there's sin. He cares deeply for you. What I'm saying is he doesn't feel sorry when you're like, I don't get to look like my neighbor who spent all their money on vacations. We have to give to other people in the community. 
I know sometimes it's embarrassing or it's uncomfortable. The couple we went with, when we went to, to, to New York with, when we went to dinner afterwards, part of the fun is like, what story did you see? Like trying to put the story together. And so I said, oh, I ended up in like the nudie room and I, I closed my eyes and they, they laughed and laughed and laughed. They thought it was hilarious. I didn't want to see that. They couldn't even understand it. They thought like, oh, you know. There may be times you feel embarrassed to have to be different or look less evolved or look... But listen, Jesus was embarrassed for you. He hung naked in front of a town, died in the most disgraceful way. He was embarrassed for you. He was embarrassed for me. There's been a sacrifice made for that emotion you feel. And so there may be times you're like, oh, I don't want to be different. My prayer today as we close is not that you just are thinking about, okay, here's all the things I can't do. Here's all the things I have to give up and the things I have to start doing. My prayer is that your heart comes alive to the righteousness that God has given us, that we get to be in, in a relationship with Christ. And that reality, that I get to be in a relationship with someone who has totally accepted me, totally forgiven me, will spend eternity with me, that makes me want to pursue holiness. It's not like, okay, I better check off all these lists. Like, no, 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 I want to stay on the unique path that God has me on. I don't wanna just go out and get a maid or go out and get a boyfriend or go out and do this thing just because it's like, well, everyone else is doing it. I feel like I'm missing out. God might have set you apart from those things for a time. It's not just like it hasn't happened to me yet. Maybe that's the unique path he put you on. So let's stand and I'm gonna end with some prayer. It's the last little thing I'm gonna say. We have a Sunday review meeting every week. It's on Tuesdays and it's a, a Zoom call. And there's about 10 of us that get on the call. And it's different people in charge of different things. So Pastor Jared with the worship, uh, Pastor Peter and I, the, the Grace and Ryan, the Kiss Church pastors, the production, Phil and Renji with production, um, nursery, all, all kinds of things. I don't want to keep name dropping. People are like, you forgot me. I, I see you all, everyone who participates. Every, every like head of, of so what happens on a Sunday. And so we get together on this call, it's an hour every week, and we just review what happened. Like, okay, what, what was going on? Oh, we had trouble signing into kids' church. Okay, was that addressed? Oh, the music was too loud. Oh, the, the, um, the internet service kept cutting in and out, so our, our community online couldn't hear us. We just review what, what needs to be fixed, what needs to be tweaked, what went well, what, what didn't go well. And it's good. I think that we should do that. I'm not against this. I'm not, I'm not dogging what we do. It's a good thing. But every once in a while... I just want to scream. I just want to scream after the meeting because it's like, do we really have to make church so perfect, so palatable, the temperature perfect, the lighting perfect, the sound perfect to make people want to come to connect with God? And I'm not saying we shouldn't be excellent. We need to be excellent or try to strive for that. But there's something in me that's like, come on. We have the opportunity, each one of us, to connect with the holy, perfect, just God. And we have to, and churches, not just this church, but churches all over, have to feel this pressure of like, we gotta make sure the experience is just right. Your people will be distracted or they won't wanna come back. And it's just like, God forgive us. 
God, forgive us, Holy Spirit. We ask your forgiveness that we forget that you are holy and you are perfect and there is no one like you. And it is a privilege to be, to, to be able to enter your presence. It is a privilege to gather with other believers, even when they drive us crazy, it's a privilege. And we take that for granted if I don't have enough seats or if it's too hot or if it's too loud or I had to wait 30 minutes to pick up my kid from nursery, I'm irritated. God, forgive us, forgive me. You are a holy, awesome, unique, special God, totally separated from sin, never wrong, always right, always just. Forgive us, God. Forgive our attitude towards approaching you. Forgive us each week when we make decisions that we know are not towards holiness. We're gonna fail, God, but we thank you that you have given us your righteousness. We have right standing with you, even in our mistakes. But Father, make our hearts come alive to want to pursue a unique path with you, to pursue the path that is set apart, different from ordinary, pursuing the sacred. Thank you, God.